On this episode of the BYO Nano Podcast, it's getting colder, and that brings some new worries for breweries amid this pandemic. Nancy Trigg of Arrived is here to talk about what your small brewery can do to optimize your taproom agility. Then, I'm going to talk with Warren Bondi. He's the co-founder of Beer Marketeers on what he believes are winning marketing strategies mid-apocalypse. And finally, it's off to Montana to talk with brewer Dave McAdoo about how he's putting a little bit of harvest season into his beers. This is John Hall, and welcome to the BYO Nano Podcast. Episode 10, and summer is firmly behind us, but the problems that have been with us for most of the year are not yet in the rearview mirror. Colder weather around most of the country means going indoors and new worries for a lot of breweries as the pandemic continues on. It's been a tough go for a lot of small businesses, but craft beer is a scrappy lot and adapting day to day has just become a way of life. On this episode, we're going to talk with some experts that can offer some practical advice and solutions to hopefully give you some peace of mind and a leg up going into winter. First up, however, I'm happy to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Blickman Pro Brewing. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing equipment is designed from the ground up to generate a quick return on your investment by getting you up and running as efficiently as possible without sacrificing quality. Experience true turnkey systems that are versatile and flexible enough to give you room to grow and a modular design that can fit any space. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more about their 1 to 10 barrel brew house systems and cellaring equipment. Again, visit BlickmanPro.com. And make sure you join us on November 6 and 7 for NanoCon Online. COVID might keep us from being together in person, but our new interactive online format will feature the opportunity to get questions answered from craft brewing experts in real time and to learn from each other about what's working and what isn't. You'll also gain full access to video recordings of our 30-plus seminars and roundtable discussions on both the business and brewing side of running a small-scale brewery. With so many fundamental changes this year, it's more important than ever to invest in better understanding the new brewing business landscape and how to best rebuild or launch your small brewery. Don't miss learning from craft brewing industry experts without even leaving your home or brewery with live online sessions covering sales and marketing, brewing operations, business operations, and startups. For full event details and more, check out nanocon.beer. Up first on the show is a conversation I recently had with Nancy Trigg. She's the president and chief growth officer of Arrived, a point-of-sales system provider. Over the last few months, the company has had an up-close look at breweries across the country who have adapted to a new business model and moved to online sales. As the colder weather comes on and people are looking to move back inside, Nancy talks about what she sees as working for breweries and how you can apply the same to your own business. She spoke to me from Boulder, Colorado. We've seen the world change quite a bit since March of this year, and the whole nature of breweries, especially the tap rooms, have changed quite a bit. From your standpoint, what's been the biggest shift? Um, I would say in the tap rooms, the biggest shift has been the, the move a little bit to to-go sales. Um, we're seeing... A lot more folks um, launching online stores and doing, you know, in states where it's allowed, beer for pickup, um, things like that. Um, we're also seeing a lot of people adding maybe 
you know, growlers, crowlers, um, things like that to their offerings so that the guests can take stuff with them when they leave. Mm-hmm. That's probably the biggest. It's just a real big uptick in that sort of to-go business. And have you seen from your standpoint an evolution of the to-go business? Because in the beginning, it seemed like everybody was struggling to set up an online store overnight and uh, getting up and running. And it was, you know, how quickly can we do this so that we don't lose the business overnight? Um, but now that we're a couple of months in and there's certainly you know no real time frame in mind or timeline in, in mind uh, where it where it could end. Has there been an evolution or are people starting to think about evolutions, do you think, of making it a more you know, permanent part of, of of the business or making it more robust? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we saw right in the beginning of COVID, um, we launched online stores for all of our customers kind of right at the beginning of the shutdowns and pretty much overnight saw about 40% of the overall revenue um, in tap rooms shift to that sort of to-go model. Wow. Um, so if you look at breweries across the country, it was a massive shift. Um, that number is now down to, you know, probably closer to 10% or less, but no, the majority of folks have decided to keep it. So whereas it was something that people weren't doing at all before, um, they, they rushed to get this part of their business going quickly um, after the shutdowns, but in most cases are keeping it running at a smaller scale. Um, there's, there's no reason not to diversify if it's bringing in revenue. And I don't think, you know, if you're using a, an easy to manage system, I don't think that it's a whole lot of overhead, additional overhead to manage. Um, and also the, the staffing cost of fulfilling sort of that online to go model is less than the staffing costs of on-premise. So I think it's just a, a diversified channel that people are seeing value in hanging on to um, for as long as necessary and as long as it's profitable. As long as it's profitable. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to guess for a lot of breweries that are even still thinking about opening right now or planning on open, um, this wasn't necessarily something that, um, was part of a business plan. I think for, for, for a lot of breweries because they were just used to that in-person or anticipating that in-person interaction for those who are thinking about launching a brewery or, um, getting close to opening their doors, What's the what's the benefit in your mind uh, of having something like that in place you know, before well, you know, the open sign is hung for the first time? Um, interestingly enough, one thing that we've seen folks do that we never saw anyone do before was actually open for to-go sales before their tap room was completely open. Huh. So in a lot of cases, when you're dealing with constructions and permitting, um, nothing happens on the schedule that you think it's going to, right? Every brewer in the world can tell you that. And um, I've seen a, a lot more. We didn't see this coming, right? But we've seen a lot of people say, hey, we can make beer now. We have our license. Um, and they just put up a couple beers online um, due to go only that has to be picked up like one or two hours a day um, just to start generating revenue before they can open their doors. It also kind of builds that excitement around the brand. So that's definitely new and kind of cool to see. So over the last seven or so months now that we've been, that we've been in this, I'm I'm curious as to the conversations that you've had with breweries as to, you know, what they, what they've tried, uh, what's worked, what hasn't worked sort of lessons learned along the way and things that you're able to then 
you know, talk to other breweries about putting into practice? Oh goodness, there's there's so much, but the the one thing that, that yeah, no, it's I know this, an interesting the, this has been a master's class of you know how to survive under pressure for the last seven months for everybody involved. But yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you that just to give you a little bit of history on us too, we chose this industry as where we wanted to start our business um, because the industry is so creative. Um, I think, you know, with the ways that legislations and rules and laws change in the way that they impact brewery operations all the time, um, people who open tap rooms by nature know that they have to be kind of curious and be willing to pivot and be willing to change and try new things. And so um, I think that, you know, one of the, not that there's necessarily positives to the coronavirus, but if we're trying to look for them, um, it's really tapped into that innate sort of creativity of the brewing industry in general. And we've seen people trying everything. Like there have been, you know, I saw um, one company that had never done um, like uh, specialty beers. They just did their flagships say, you know what, we should just try this and put it online and see what happens. And now that's a huge part of their business because they found that a different audience wanted those specialty beers than the people that were coming into their tap room. So they just tried that and it stuck. Right. Brew through was the, one of the funnest concepts I saw come out of this where people had kind of the, the drive through pickup brewery. Yeah. Where you could just drive through and pick things up. I mean, what a great thing for me as a consumer. Right. Because I don't <laughs> always want to get out of my car to be able to drive through and pick up beer if the licensing allows it where you are. That's just a neat idea that's come out of this. Um, I think COVID has also forced a lot of people to go to more of a um, a table service model or a floating service model. Um, I think one of the biggest surprises that we've seen there um, is that as people sort of shift to that floating service model, because counters are crowded, right? And people don't want to stand in line right now and kind of hang out with groups of people, is that if you really manage your staffing for that table service, it doesn't have to cost you more. It's just a matter of restructuring how you use people um, and having them float around versus staying in one place. And the majority of folks who've done that um, do see a significant increase in their sales as a result. It's kind of adding that extra touch to the service and you know, walking around on the floors. And so, that, I mean, I could go on all day. There's so many, but those are some of my favorites. Well, I, I mean, is, is there one more that's top of mind? I don't want to cut you off. You know. sure. uh, <laughs> I think paper menus are going to be a thing of the past. I think people are moving to digital menus and QR codes. Um, it's, it reduces costs across the board, um, not having to print things all the time. Um, I have a feeling that's another change that's going to stick, as well as some of the hands-free payment apps. Um, we actually released one where guests can start a tab and close their tab right from their phone, um, and it syncs to the point of sale. I think that sort of thing that kind of allows the consumer to do just a little bit um, more on their own. I think those sorts of things are going to stick as well. I, I'm, I'm curious about that because I'm still very much a Luddite when it comes to technology, but I'm realizing the, the, the benefits more and more, obviously, in a time of pandemic for uh, contactless uh, uh, payments and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and interactions. But as, as breweries start to think about QR codes and, and paperless menus and paying from their phone and everything. There is still a consumer base that needs to be trained on this, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, you know, we believe that 
there should never just be one option, right? You want to be able to service all of your guests the way that they want to be serviced. And if there's, you know, if there's people who don't want to use a payment app for their phone, that's fine, right? You can take their credit card just like you normally would. But there's a certain percentage of guests who would rather just pay from their phone. And it's giving those options to your guests. It's about giving that flexibility versus um, kind of mandating that they pay one way or another. And I think consumers for the first time ever are kind of ready for that more sort of Uber experience, right? When I'm ready to go, I just hit pay and, and go. Mm-hmm. Um, and giving them those tools, I think, just adds value and kind of creates that cool factor that um, some of the younger generations are definitely looking for. And Have you seen you know, metrics that support this as well, like that this is what consumers are looking for? Yeah, I mean, they're using it. We've had over 80,000 people download the app since we released it in April. That's 80,000 consumers paying from their phone. Wow. Right? So, um, and that's just, and we haven't even really done any kind of, you know, press or releases around that. It's just organic from people, the breweries putting up signs and saying, download this to pay. We're here in the middle of October right now. Weather is starting to change across most of the country. Uh, cold mm-hmm. for, for colder for most, I, I would say. Um, what do you urging folks to think about uh, when it comes to the cooler weather and perhaps having to move indoors and, and you know, some of the solutions that uh, uh, you know, folks can put into practice to sort of help keep the lights on and the beer flowing. Well, I'll go back to kind of what I said originally. I, I do think just because the doors are open, I wouldn't let go of your sort of new channels, the to-go business if you have it. Um, because not everyone's ready to go back out, right? Just because you're open doesn't mean everybody is ready. Um, we're encouraging everyone, if they have um, to go options, even if it's growlers, whatever it is, really focus and train your staff on selling that because people might be longer between visits. And so offering them something to take with them to go um, is going to increase that tab size quite a bit. And we are still seeing significantly increased tab sizes. So although there's less guests um, coming in right now than there were in the past, they're spending more. Um, and I think that's because there's been a shift in that focus to, you know, take something with you when you leave. See, you know, the only thing I would have added is um, just that it's important to look at the data. I think a lot of Tap rooms and breweries, they sort of put their tap room on autopilot. Um, and you need to be looking at the data in all what, the time. In what way? Know what's selling. Know who's selling it. Know how your staff is performing. Know what beers are selling at what sizes and prices. You know, experiment with your numbers. All of that. Like, you know, trying... If you don't want to do table service, try it on a Saturday and see what happens. Is it worth it? Did you make more money? Did that money offset your costs? Um, and kind of doing that experimenting. Well, thanks so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate you uh, sitting down and talking with us on the podcast. Of course. Anytime. It was a pleasure.
Joining me on the phone now is co-founder of Beer Marketeers, Warren Bondi. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. Warren, we're at this strange point in the pandemic, I think, where a lot of the ways that life was upended have almost become routine. You know, people are setting into new routines, and it seems like it can be harder for some companies to get the message out to consumers, uh, you know, one that really penetrates. And I know you've been thinking and talking a lot lately about marketing strategies mid-apocalypse, as you put it. And, and I wonder if you can share a little bit about what you've observed and what you think nanobrewers should be thinking about, you know, when they want to get a message out. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, what we've even preached kind of throughout this whole thing has been, you know, we know it's tough. We know it's harder than ever to get your message out there, but you actually have a unique opportunity now to um, put even more of your message out there. And what I mean by that is, is having your structures internally built to where you know that I'm this, this week I'm going to focus on a campaign that is showing the behind the scenes, right? Stuff that we forget about um, in the normal days. Let's be honest. You know, we didn't typically show, the brewers doing a bunch of stuff. We didn't give a little love to our taproom staff, even though you thought you wanted to. It's in your brain there. You want to, but then you forget because, well, this week we're releasing this beer. You know, next week we're doing this event. Or hey, there's trivia night. We got to talk about it all. Where do we fit it in, right? Yeah. <laughs> so part of that, and part of what we've talked about in, in our talk on that particular talk you just mentioned was. Hey, you know, if you can get this organized in the proper calendars and have your strategies connected together and build out your campaigns properly, then you can still get some of the same information out. It's just that people are caring less now if you're not personable, right? Because there's so many brands out there. So what we're finding that's working and what we're telling and advising our customers and our clients um, is that, hey, this is your opportunity to show that you, you guys are real people behind this brand. You know, there, there are hands touching these products and there are people that support that, you know, depend on this. And, you know, that hits home for me because guess what? I am one of those people, right? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I'm a marketing guy. I own a marketing business. But when everybody starts getting rid of people in this industry because of COVID stuff, well, guess who's first to go, right? Yeah. And I- – Making that personal connection, though, it, it seemed like that was a shift early on in COVID where people were trying to remind the consumers, you know, especially when it came to really small businesses, you know, hey, we are we are here. We are in your community. We are not some you know, big, amorphous, anonymous company that, that, that exists. We're your, you know, your friends and neighbors. Um, and, and, and that's not always something that I think comes natural to a lot of folks is selling themselves. Um, right. But it does seem like it's 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 more important now than ever. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sell on yourself because, I mean, let's be honest, everybody's got that new cool beer out. At least that's what they're promoting. Right. They're, yeah. they're pushing that new product, um, you know, and, and and speaking to the smaller craft brewers, either, even so, I've heard a few of them say, well, you know, we're unique because we're so small. We're this man. There's a lot of those. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm not saying that. Hey, your dreams are crushed because there's, you know, uh, thousands of other small nano breweries, but there are, right? So that can't be your differentiating factor anymore. It's got to be you. It's got to be the personality behind your brand. And so, you know, now we're shifting even more so to putting that into effect when people do visit, because now that people are starting to be allowed to visit places, 
Um, and hopefully you've been showing them this whole time who you are and you still have time to do it. Keep doing it. Keep telling people the behind the scenes work and all that. But now when people come there, is that the experience that they're getting? Right. We, we emphasize that to our clients now saying, Hey, we're going to put this out there in the world, but you, you need to make sure you're ready to rock and roll with it because if that's not the experience then you're going to lose people really quickly and they're not going to want to make a return because they'll kind of know you're full of it once they visit that one time. So we're putting a huge emphasis on that quality experience and the atmosphere and, and everything being up to par with safety guidelines where you got to have them and, and just following the current rules. Obviously we, we all have to deal with them. It sucks sometimes, but you know, we suck it up. So, um, you know, we, we kind of shift our gears a little bit there in saying, Hey, here's this other piece that you might've not been thinking about as much because you've been distracted with the measures that you have to take for COVID. You kind of lose that, that atmosphere, but I think you can still capture it if you really, really put that extra elbow grease in. And the extra elbow grease, it, it almost strikes me as the, the, the social accounts or the, you know, the, the accounts that I enjoy following uh, in, in the beer space are the really authentic ones. The ones that when you walk in, the voice online sort of matches the tone of the brewery itself. And, you know, I, I, I think that there are some places that do a pretty polished job and the photography is really slick and the, the marketing company is super dialed in and it gets their point across and you, know, you have a, a whole team working behind it. But it, it can really be as simple as just somebody speaking in their own voice, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, to an extent, right? You always want to have that brand personality behind it. And that's part of what we'll do. We do with, with, with our, our clients is we go in and before we start posting about stuff, we dive into what that brand identity and that brand voice is going to be. And we try to assess that and say, okay, cool. Cause then I can take and we can push that into the world. And if that's laid back and you know, where the everybody's bar, okay, that's, that's your, that's your identity. It might not be what's making unique because let's, let's again say there are probably another hundred people who say, yeah, man, we're, we, we're at everybody's bar, you know, come hang out with us with the neighborhood spot. But you use that identity and then if you can capture it, physically too that's always going to be a huge win on the other side I, I do believe in the imagery being higher quality these days especially when you're looking at so we we, we call it separation of church and state okay. in our strategy uh, consulting documents that we send over to uh, consulting clients and part of that is that we have a belief that you know Instagram and Facebook you, you kind of on two different fields there right um we, we see it a lot more uh, nowadays than ever uh, where you're targeting an older clientele on Facebook and Facebook has a more informational based process than Instagram does. Instagram is pretty, right? So that's why we still emphasize people having those really nice shots and it doesn't have to be a professional because not everybody can afford a professional photographer, but nowadays with a, uh, with a decent phone and, uh, and some, some extra effort. And, and you, you know, you said you follow a few good accounts, follow those accounts, find out these angles, you know, don't try to reinvent the wheel and do something that no one else is doing <laughs> on these pictures. Yeah. Uh, go, go out there and see what people are doing and what you like and what you think captures who you are as a company and attack it in the best possible way you can, you know, and there's so many little things that you can do to, I can sit here and give you a, a photography lesson someday too, but uh, or an iPhoneography, I should say, <laughs> not a photography. I am not That's a tough on a podcast, but, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But, you know, that that's all part of it as well. So you can still use, I know some people might 
well, that doesn't really matter to me because that's not our personality. You know, we don't have these professionally done photos. Man, you can still look pretty, you know, on Instagram and you can still make people excited with nice imagery um, and still get your voice out there. So, you know, we again, we call it separation of church and state. We we take our um, our posts typically and we will make sure that the way that we type them up and copy and the way that we're putting them out there into the world on Instagram and Facebook uh, versus each other, that they're a little bit different potentially because text, you know, easy way to say it, text comes first on Facebook, image comes first on Instagram. You know, one of the things that, that, that you said before that it, you come in and you're, you're, you're trying to figure out, you know, who, who folks are and, and what they're all about. I'm often surprised when, I talk to a brewery and I say, you know, what's your mission statement or what's, what's the company ethos? And I get blank stares back, uh, you know, because people are like, well, we just make beer, you know, like we're here to, we're here to drink beer and make beer and have a good time. And that's, that's not even enough these days. Right. I mean, having a, an own internal sense of, of, of self and place for your small brewery can, can help you sort of act like a larger company, at least mentally. Absolutely. I mean, look, that that's all these talks, you know, we we're chatting before all these talks that I, I give out there. I don't, I'm not a selling guy. I, I can, I did sales for years. I'm good at it, but it's not our personality. We, I want people to realize the things that they need in their business. And I don't care if you fix them with us or you fix them internally, but a lot of people when they're coming into this industry, and, and again, I don't mean this to offend anyone, but they're a brewer, right? And they don't have any prior experience in, the business world and or the marketing side or something you know they maybe they don't some uh, some do and that's obvious in some situations but some don't or they're the brewer now and they can do it because that's their degree or whatever it was but they don't have time and so it kind of gets pushed to the to the wayside you do your fake one that you give to a bank you fake a business plan that you give to the bank when you're trying to get some money or to investors, but it, it never goes through. So we see it so often, honestly, that people come to us and they want us to do even a logo or a label. And we're like, okay, where's your brand guideline? And where's this, you know, or, Hey, they come to us and they want us to take over online marketing or whatever it might be. We end up having to sometimes shoot back and say, Hey, you guys don't have this yet. Let's talk about that and see if we can address that first, because it can be as simple as just, a, a couple pages that you can get done a lot cheaper than a full brand guidebook potentially from a big firm, but you can do a couple pages that have your logos and your alternate logos and your brand identity and your mission statement and the things that you believe in. Because at the end of the day, if someone hands me that I've got a lot better info to take and run with that and help you build your business. That's, that's what you just said as far as mission statement on that's on these questionnaires that we send to people when we're building out these, these, uh, when we're doing our consulting side of the business, yeah, you know, we're sending these questionnaires asking all these questions because again, that's where you're going to stick out more versus just being a brewer. And I, and I hate to say it, but you have a lot of people out there who are starting in the smaller realm, especially, um, which I know is your audience here, but, um, that, that are, they're great home brewers and their buddies have been telling them to do it, but they forget about that other side. And I can't emphasize enough how important it is to do it and then follow through with it because that I, I just don't see anybody surviving nowadays without it. Well, that sounds like that's some good homework for our listeners who haven't taken this plunge just yet of to, uh, stop and think and get a plan going and, uh, you know, make it happen. 
Warren, thanks so much for, for talking with me on the show today. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you for having me, man. I really appreciate you. And uh, yeah, cheers. Thanks again to this episode's sponsor. Experience true turnkey systems that are versatile and flexible enough to give you room to grow and a modular design that can fit any space. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more about their 1 to 10 barrel brew house systems and cellaring equipment. Again, visit BlickmanPro.com today. On the last episode, I asked you about harvest season and what might be going into your beers. And I heard from Dave McAdoo of Burnt Tree Brewing in Ennis, Montana, who put a fun spin on my question. There aren't the traditional farms or orchards in his part of the country, but over the summer, he and his boys went camping and decided to harvest some spruce tips. He vacuum-packed them and then froze them. And now that the weather is getting colder, he's brewing with them and putting the beer on tap. And... The beer has a bit of a warming sensation, so it's just right for what people want right now. We talk about seasonal changes and what that means for businesses west of Yellowstone National Park and how colder weather impacts his brew day and his tap list. Dave spoke to me from the brewery in Ennis, Montana for this month's Brewery Profile. What was this summer like for you? Uh, this summer, you know, we did a lot more business it was uh, than we were expecting to um we have the benefit of being attached to a restaurant and bar next door um the the operation and management of which is all sort of in the same family and so we have about a it's it's a very successful bar on the end of main street with a uh with the only draft beer account in town and a well curated tap list of all Montana breweries. So a very beer centric clientele. And we, um, so we have sales data from approximately a dozen years uh, prior to opening the brewery, which we opened in this uh, last summer, summer of 19. So um, we had a pretty good idea of how much traffic to expect. Of course, the, pandemic through a lot of that sort of to the wind it made it really hard to sort of plan number wise we just had to sort of roll with it um but early in the spring montana being a very rural state with low cases low number of cases um seems like we were we were quite the destination uh, you know a lot of people escaping the more urban areas and coming out west to lots of campers lots of brand new campers um, lots of out-of-state plates on Main Street it's a little bit earlier, maybe, than we expected. Which, you know, it's a bit of a rock and a hard place. It, it's That's our business. Our business is seasonal tourism. Um, yeah, go ahead. Right, no, I was going to say, <laughs> were, were you finding that the folks who were coming through this year were looking for a particular style of beer? Was there st- Were there you know, versus, versus years previous? Um well, again, we so we opened a bit late last year. Yeah. Uh, so the Fourth of July week is our big week here in this town, and the again, uh, looking at numbers and data from the restaurant and bar next door, uh, they'll do as much revenue in the week of Fourth of July as in an, an entire month or two in the winter months. Wow! So that's the time to make the money. 
Um, and we were pushing really hard last year to be open by 4th of July. But you may recall there was a stable genius government shutdown right at the time when our TTB permit application was submitted. So that put us a little bit behind um, construction delays, et cetera. Anyway, we, we opened up in August. So we just missed the crest of the wave last year. Um, so we didn't have a lot to compare to as far as this year's traffic and numbers. And, um, and as far as beer styles go, again, I, I don't think I have much to compare that to what, sure. Yeah. Being, being a small brewery, um, it's, and again, tourist driven, it's was important to me to have a wide variety of styles, you know, something for everyone, hopefully from, Oh, the person who gets dragged along with a group and wants, you know, the, the quote unquote lightest beer, what's your lightest beer Yeah. to, you know, wanting to have at least one dark beer, a stout, what have you, um, try to cover the gamut of IPAs and multi malt forward ambers or ESBs. So, um, yeah, so I, I guess I really try to have that spectrum available to different people. Um, but what's been really popular, I guess the biggest surprise has been brooded sours and hazy IPAs. That's not, <laughs> it's not a surprise, surprise. To in the industry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But for our little town, I, I, these are beer styles that I really wanted to bring uh, into the brewery and, uh, you know, quote unquote progressive styles. And um, I don't think there's other than we're, we're about an hour or so outside of Bozeman. So of course uh, there's a, a much hipper beer scene in Bozeman, but in our little town, you know, I guess that was kind of a surprise is that fruited sours would be so popular. Well, you got on my radar because, uh, you know, while you are in a beautiful part of the country, uh, Ennis, Montana is not a place that I am, uh, super familiar with, but, uh, on our last episode, I, uh, asked some folks to, to write in about how they were, uh, embracing the harvest season, which, we, which we're in right now. And your email, uh, out of the ones we got in, uh, stood out to me, uh, because you weren't necessarily thinking about now, but you were thinking about what you did back in June. And so I, I don't want to steal your, th your thunder. So, so why don't you just give me a little bit of background about uh, how you spent part of your summer? Well, sure. Yeah. Well, I guess, um, go over that story again. Yeah, you're right. We don't have much of a fall harvest season here other than, um, well, basically we, we live in the high desert, uh, short grass prairie, very short growing season here. So our, our crops, our seasonal crops are basically hay and beef, which, uh, so that doesn't, uh, you know, provide a lot of, <laughs> you know, fruit options for fruited beers, etc. So, um, not so, a yeah, lot of, response... not a lot of beef beers either. I've had, <laughs> no. I've had one in the past and, uh, I, I don't need to go back to that again. Yeah. yeah I don't know if I'm ready for that one yet, but, um, uh, <laughs> it could be a big hit around here. You never know. So yeah, I responded to your inquiry more, uh, about a, a more of a spring, early summer harvest. And that is that I was on a camping trip earlier this summer with my sons and, um, woke up and got out of the tent one morning and my goodness, the spruce tips were just, uh, you know, going off just in abundance all around. So I recruited one of my sons, um, to just spend a few hours and we collected 
fresh spruce tips right off of the trees and uh, brought them home and well, brought them into the brewery for the, to use the vacuum sealer. Uh, so vacuum sealed them and threw them into the freezer until I could use them. And uh, I guess I, I should say that I've made spruce beers pretty much every year since I, I moved to Montana over 25 years ago and became a home brewer right around the same time. So making spruce beer has always been an annual tradition of mine on a homebrew level. So I thought well, this would be really fun to do on the nano brew mm-hmm. brew pub level. And I've also been really inspired in the last year or two years by uh, the Lars blog, Lars Marius Garshall's book. Mm-hmm. Um, and also uh, made some, made an, a, an attempt at a traditional sock tea earlier this year uh, using the, the techniques in Michael Leitinen's book, Viking Age Brew. Yeah. Uh, and that, that particular, yeah, it was really fun to read that and um, really interesting, you know, just, just to sort of throw conventional wisdom out the window and uh, actually taught my oldest son to brew that day. Um, he's, he's 20 years old, so he can help me make it, but he can't drink it yet. Right. So (laughs) we we spent the day, yeah, yeah, we spent the day, uh, gathered down by the Creek around an open fire and making Viking age brew, um, with, you know, no thermometers, hydrometers, et cetera, just having fun with it. And that, that was the first time I had used juniper in a brew, which is really unusual. And it can be very potent. I mean, it, it, you know, for, for, for gin drinkers, you know, everybody has their own, uh, I think particular brand of gin that they really enjoy based on the juniper levels. And I'm, I, I'm more of like a, a medium low, uh, uh, personally, but, um, a little bit goes a long way with juniper. I, and I was very worried about that actually. So I did use just a little bit. Um, and it, it actually did carry through pretty nicely and I was surprised, but it's, it's a, it's a weird beer style and a weird flavor you know, for the un- uninitiated. So, but I, I was interested in, you know, the farmhouse, Nordic farmhouse brewing techniques, and I wanted to bring that into the brew house, but I decided instead of the juniper, which could be really strange, um, maybe off-putting for most of our clients, I decided to bring the spruce tips in instead. And so I, I brewed a Nordic farmhouse style beer using the fresh spruce and fermented with the Kvike yeast. Uh, the Voss strain, right? Voss strain, right. Yeah. I, I just used the dried product available from Lalamond, um, which, you know, I've only used a very few times since. So it was, it was a really fun experiment and uh, seems to have hit pretty well. And I see you did uh, Pilsner Vienna and Rye, uh, or 10% right. of Rye, uh, and then the rest uh, Pilsner Vienna. Um, yeah, so it's very light, and uh, uh, you know, I actually I'm calling it a saison, a spruce tip saison, <laughs> just to give people a little more idea of what it, what to expect. Yeah, so so for those the, people who get it. The the thing that I really liked about this note from you though was, we often think about harvest. I think in in, in general, in, in one sort of way of you know going to an orchard, going to a farm, um, and. You know, essentially what you did was foraging, but you know that that that's a that's a a form of harvest and right. spruce tips. I think 
by and large, you know, you can find you know wherever there are you know spruce trees growing or you know pine trees or or you know and the like. Um, you know, certainly where there's more of them, it's probably easier to get them. But I remember talking with brewers in the past that you know, unlike fresh hop or wet hop, which we were talking about um, uh, with Stan on the last show, uh, there are once you vacuum pack these and you put them in the freezer, you could pull them out a year later and they're still going to have that vibrancy to them. Right. Has that been your experience? It, it has. I, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And again, this, my experience is mostly from home brewing, but um, yeah, depending on the year and you know, how cold or warm the spring is and at what elevation you find them, you know, I've collected spruce tips, in early summer, it, you know, June into early July. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I typically don't get around to it until say winter, at least when I was a home brewer, um, I wouldn't brew a whole lot in the summer because there's, you know, at least in Montana, it's time to get outside and go recreate and get into the mountains. And so brewing for me was always fall, winter, early spring. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I pull those spruce tips out of the freezer and I can't say that I've noticed any sort of drop off in quality or, or aroma. Um, I have tried using them in various ways, whether that's throwing them in the mash or throwing them in the boil or, um, you know, I finally, finally arrived at flame out additions as being the best yeah. to really get that good flavor. And it, it is easy to easy. It, it is possible to overshoot the spruciness too. So, I just tried to take good notes and, uh, Hey, what do you know? It happened to scale up to the five barrel (laughs) size too. Well, I got lucky there. I I think that there is so much that comes into with any sort of harvest beer, regardless of what the ingredient is, there is a great sense of place that you can convey to the drinker that you can convey to your consumers. And when, you can point to a nearby mountain range or you can point to a nearby farm or whatever and say, yeah, what you're drinking right here. Yeah. It came from there and, and point, you know, in a direction and people get it. They get the, they, they get the geography. Um, ha, ha, have you found that when you've been talking to you know, drinkers who have shown up uh, uh, to have socially distanced pints at your place uh, that, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, that, that they're interested in the story that, that it helps forge a deeper connection between drinker and beer that's a great point and yeah maybe i should uh amend or add to my story here to bring in a little more of the fall harvest and uh that is that since you know this has been a goal since we opened but we sort of didn't really get around to it until early this year early spring um but wanting to use as many or as a high percentage of local ingredients as we could and, you know, during startup, it's really easy to go with the sort of one-stop shop where you can jump online and get everything you want delivered right to your door on a pallet. Um, and that was, there's so much else to figure out during the startup phase that that was a, a great way to go for us. But um, earlier this spring, you know, when economies are shutting down and it's just that much more important to bolster local economies we really went with the uh, basically at a a complete pivot toward um, using as many local malts as we possibly could as as high a percentage as local local malts as we could and uh, using local locally grown hops 
so I do have a couple of beers that are actually a hundred percent local ingredients. And, um, I try to communicate that as much as I can to our customers. And in fact, uh, earlier this morning, uh, Jake from Crooked Yard Hops just came down and, and delivered the 2020 harvest of some locally grown Centennial and Cascade hops. So there's your fall harvest right there. Uh, we do have some hops that are grown in the <laughs> Bozeman area. Uh, last week, I took delivery of uh, a few pallets of malt from a local grower in the Gallatin Valley, Gallatin Valley Malt and uh, Montana Craft Malt. And these these are um, products that are, I say local, you know, Bozeman's about a hundred miles from us and that's about as local as you're going to get in Montana. That's sure. basically next door. Right. <laughs> um, so, but it is a, it it's is an easy a decision. Drive. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I say, it was a goal of ours upon opening is, Hey, wouldn't it be neat to have at least one or two handles of hundred percent local ingredients at all times. And, uh, we've achieved that. And not only have we achieved that, but then, uh, basically, all of my base malts are all locally grown at this point, and so um, I guess that plays right into the fall, fall twenty twenty harvest. Is I've got a lot of malted barley from from our neighbors. Yeah, in the minute or so that we have left here, um, you know, we're headed into the cooler months now, and there's obviously some restrictions in place, and you know, COVID is still happening and around us. Um, what are you thinking about? you know, beer wise, uh, to, to, to get through, you know, extraordinary winter months, <laughs> um, increase the ABV. Um, yeah, <laughs> stronger and darker basically is the name of the game. Um, you know, I, it was really hard to keep a dark beer on tap this summer just because the pale beers were selling so quickly that it was, it was just really hard to keep up with the brewing schedule and get, that dark beer in there but now you know there's a brown on tap i've got an imperial stout i've got some uh, plans for um uh the double black ipa that i made which IPA. is uh mm-hmm. yeah it's popular with the skiers a little bit of you know extreme skiing reference in there and uh and then yeah i was planning to make this nordic farmhouse spruce beer again uh we're on our last keg of it and it's drinking very nicely right now um but now that the weather has turned, I think I'm going to use the remaining spruce tips for a porter to sort of come out right around sort of the holidays and the New Year's time. Um, I think that would work well. And it's a beer. Again, I've made that on the homebrew level. Um, so, yeah, we're going darker and stronger, I guess. So we can make it through em, em, embrace the harvest, but uh, also embrace the weather with your with your tap lists as well. It's a, it's a good That's lesson right. for all of us. Uh, Dave, thanks for taking the time and being on the show today. Oh, I really appreciate it, John. It's nice to chat with you. There's a lot of local ingredients that can go into your beer. Last weekend, I visited Hopping Eagle in the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania, where they worked with a local cider company to create an apple cider donut ale, complete with, yep, you guessed it, apple cider donuts in the mash. Hopping Eagle is just a year old, but by working with an established company that does a huge seasonal business, they are not only able to capture the flavors of autumn, but also get on the radar of the many tourists who flock to the area for apple picking each year. It's a smart business move. 
Before we go, I'd like to hear from you again. November has us thinking about giving thanks. With all the stress in the world, surely there are some bright spots in your beer world. So what are you thankful for? Email us, nano at byo.com, and I'll read some letters on the next show. And I'll invite you to head over to byo.com slash nanopodcast and subscribe to the newsletter, the magazine, and catch up with great homebrewing content. New episodes of this show are released on the 15th of each month, so subscribe now and never miss a show when it's released. And you can also do us a favor by leaving feedback on your podcast platform of choice or by emailing nano at byo.com or checking in with us on all of the BYO social media channels. And before we go, I want to thank this episode's sponsor. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment is designed from the ground up to generate a quick return on your investment by getting you up and running as efficiently as possible without sacrificing quality. Experience true turnkey systems that are versatile and flexible enough to give you room to grow and a modular design that can fit any space. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more about their 1-10 to barrel brew house systems and cellaring equipment. Again, visit BlickmanPro.com today. And make sure you join us on November 6th and 7th for NanoCon Online. Our new interactive online format will feature the opportunity to get questions answered from craft brewing experts in real time and to learn from each other about what's working and what isn't. You'll also gain full access to video recordings of our 30-plus seminars and roundtable discussions on both the business and brewing side of running a small-scale brewery. With so many fundamental changes this year, it's more important than ever to invest in better understanding the new brewing business landscape and how to best rebuild or launch your small brewery. Don't miss learning from craft brewing industry experts without even leaving your home or brewery with live online sessions covering sales and marketing, brewery operations, business operations, and startups. For full event details, check out nanocon.beer. I'm John Hall. And you can still find me weekly behind the microphone on the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast, as well as Steal This Beer. Find those wherever podcasts are found, and I hope you'll tune in. Our thanks to Scott McCampbell for supplying the music for this show. And once again, be sure to check out byo.com slash nanopodcast for all of your nano brewing needs. And for now, we wish you all the best for a small but successful brew day.